Hello and welcome to the One Pound Movie Podcast. I'm your host Wayne and this is episode 20. I've made it to episode 20. And if you made it to episode 20, well, congratulations. Welcome along with me. It's been a long time in getting to episode 20. It's took us nearly enough a year. It's just coming up on 10 months now or it's just over 10 months. I can't remember when I released the first one, to be honest. But anyway, I'm babbling like I always do at the start of an episode. Uh, If you're not sure what this is, and it's your 20th time coming here, you know what's going to happen now. I'm going to tell you what the show's all about. Basically, I've been out to charity shops, CEX, cash converters, anywhere where you can buy a second-hand DVD for a pound or less. That is the entire premise of the show. They could be anything. They could be right the way from Goodwill Hunting right the way down to something strange like octopus you know anything like those a rated brilliant actedly brilliantly actedly brilliantly acted oscar nominated oscar winning films right the way through to c movie nothing that doesn't even get you know recognition on science mystery theater 3000 anything like that that's basically the crux of the show so on episode 20 we're going to be discussing the nugget <laughs> Meet Lotto, a loving husband. Come on, get out. Oh. A true friend. Let's grab a beer. And one unlucky guy. No! But Lotto and his pals are about to uncover their big break. The whole thing there is one big chunk of gold. Finding it was easy. Holding on to it will be a real miracle. Where's the car, guys? We go and leave a multi-million dollar gold nugget in the back of a ute. We should have made it easier for him and left the keys in the ignition. I think I did, didn't I? Now, everyone wants a piece of the action. Oh, yeah, this is a great story. Well, this is not just a national story. It's major worldwide syndication. What's going on? To get back the nugget, it'll take everything they've got. Now we're just getting back what's ours. It's ours and we want it back. What are you doing? Not so tough, Nick. Are you going to do something? Eric Banner, Stephen Curry, Dave O'Neill. Two dollars forty short. <laughs> what's so funny? Sorry. It, it's just, we're so rich that... We could we buy two burgers each. Easy. <laughs> the Nugget. You're 240 short. Right, so The Nugget from 2002 is directed by Bill Bennett. It stars Eric Banner, Stephen Curry and Dave O'Neill. It has a running time of 97 minutes. It has a IMDb score of 6 out of 10 and a Rotten Tomato score of 56%. Now, I forgot to write down what the uh, rating is, but I think it's a 15. Um, it has a budget of $500,000 approximately and a gross worldwide of nine uh, $985,672 and is classed as a comedy. I'll read you the synopsis now. This is directly from the back of the DVD. This is what it says. It says... Lotto, Wookie, and Wally are three ordinary guys who share a dream of striking it rich. But nothing can prepare them for what lies ahead when they actually discover the world's largest, largest nuggets of gold. When the, world, when the word gets out, the three beer-swilling guys are now multimillionaires. 
Everyone wants a piece of the action, and the nugget suddenly goes missing. The nugget takes on a life of its own, as the guys set out on a wild goose chase to gain back their fortune. Along the way, everybody learns that they have to be careful what they wish for. Instant wealth changes their lives with hilarious consequences, but losing it is no joke. A comedy worth its weight in gold. A nice little brief synopsis there. That's all right, that. Tells you everything you need to know. Background on the film. Much of the cast consists of residents of the town called Mudgy, where the movie was filmed, and Eric Banner was first choice to play Xander Cage in Triple X, but turned it, out, turned it down to come and do this film, and he started in this film. Director Bill Bennett, who is a native Australian director, he began, he began his career in 1972 after he dropped out of medical school to pursue a career in broadcasting. Known for film and documentaries, including two that have made uh, the official selection for the Cannes Film Festival, which were called Backlash, Backlash sorry, and Malpractice. Films of note are Tempted, and me either, but Burt Reynolds is in it from 2001, apparently, and um, two, If By The Sea. Again, I don't know if you've heard of it, but I haven't heard of it either, and it stars Sandra Bullock, and that's from 1996. A bit on Eric Banner now. Eric Banner, probably most famous for playing Bruce Banner in The Incredible Hulk, he has 37 actor credits to his name, including Troy, Chopper, Munich, and Star Trek The Remake. That's not actually his title, it's just called Star Trek. It's not Star Trek The Remake, but I suppose it could have been called that. He's from Melbourne, and his real name is Eric uh, Banad- Banadinovich. Oh yeah, I got that right, Banad- Eric Banadinovich. Uh, his father is from Croatia, and he was a stand-up comedian, and while working as a barman, he made his film debut in 1997 in a film called Castle. Or The Castle, sorry. Let's talk about Stephen Curry now. Stephen Curry, who plays Wookiee. Also from Melbourne, he's an actor and comedian. He has 73 credits uh, to his name. And he's known for Thunderstruck, Hounds of Love, and the brilliant Australian creature feature. If you haven't seen this film, go and see this film. It is fantastic. It's called Rogue. It's about uh, a giant crocodile in the Australian outback. Brilliant. Trust me on that one. It's brilliant. And he has been a constant collaborator with Eric Banner from Eric in 96 and also appearing in Eric Banner's sketch show and obviously in this as well. Dave O'Neill now who plays Sue. He's also from Melbourne. He's a stand-up comedian, an actor, a bass player, writer, television and radio presenter. That's all from his IMDb by the way. Um, he has 19 actor credits, including, well, it's just loads of TV and loads of film credits, to be honest. Uh, there's a film called Guru Wayne from 2002, a film called Takeaway from 2003, and You and Your Stupid Mate from 2005. So you see what sort of career he's had. Uh, we've got some critical response now. So the critical response, we've got filmcritic.com stroke Australia. They gave it one star. They said there is no energy of any kind in the film. It drags interminably and neither the jaunty music or the occasional burst of frantic burlesque can save it. Uh, Cinephile.net Australia gives gives the film two and a half stars, and it says, although the critics dumped all over it for uh, regurgitating stereotypes, and it died predictably a dull death at the box office, it is a likeable, albeit not even particularly funny little film. So you can see where they're going with this. There's, there's two of many, and the sort of two I picked out that sort of had the, the whole feel of what's going on. So they're sort of dumping on this film a little. So it's sort of a middling film. I'm assuming, that, I'm assuming that's two and a half out of five. Um, so yeah. So we're going to the expectation now. I read one review uh, of uh, of this film that said that this film, that this film is based on a John Spine, John Steinbeck, John Steinbeck novella called The Pearl. Uh, but I couldn't find a trace of anything of it after that. I, I had a good deep dive and couldn't find 
if that's the case, um, he could possibly. I mean, mainly I'm hoping that the three leads are endearing. You know, something like Tucker and Dale versus Pure Evil or the three lads in without a panel. Those movies may not be great. They may not be something that you go back to, but those guys make those films interminably better. And you are rooting for them all the way. And if, if they don't get that, if they don't get that balance right, this is going to be a hard watch and I don't want it to be that. As long as they, they you know, as long as they got charm and they have a bit of chemistry, that's what I'm looking for. I mean, this is going to be a simple story. It's a bit of a caper, I feel, you know, that's that's how it's going to be. Silly mishaps, falling out, they'll get back together at the end and they'll, it'll all work out and somehow or another, you know, they'll reunite and they'll save some sort of a day. That's the sort of thing I'm thinking of. If this is your first time coming to my podcast, my little podcast, uh, welcome along, like I said, and... Uh, there's 19 episodes for you to go back and listen to but if this is your first time massive shout out now Uh, I haven't watched the film at this point in time I haven't seen it I'm going to break now for an intermission and go and watch the film so uh, come back in a minute so I'm back from watching the film and uh, quick one very quickly if you haven't seen the film spoilers I'm going to spoil the whole film we'll talk about the whole plot we'll talk about everything that's involved in it and uh, yeah so spoilers ahead and we'll go with an instant initial reaction so um, no expectation for this film going into it you know um, the critics had dumped all over it and I was a bit like you know they've spent no money on the case quality at all it looks like it's just f- forgotten about completely. But this film is, is seriously quite funny. Uh, it has it's a silly sort of nothing of a film, but it's it's you know got likable everyman characters and it's it's quite that's it. It's just silly. It's even more straight cut than I thought it would be. If I'm honest, it's it's a simple morality tale with some whimsy thrown in, and that's it. It's it's an easy watch. It gave me a couple of chuckles. You know, uh, there's a couple of jokes that are extremely harsh and some that are damn right racist uh, that are not funny in the slightest and I'm not you know ever going to defend the film against that but you know um uh, the, the thing is that I don't know those jokes serve now and this is this is 2002 so mm, yeah I know Australia is a strange place but anyway uh, we'll go on we'll break down the whole film now so we start with an awfully cheap looking titles over some Hallmark piano music and I instantly feared the worst I thought, here we go, this is this is not going to be good. And then it starts a narration. Now, if you come from the last film, there was a narration at the start of the last one, and I was like, for God's sake, 13 minutes of narration in the Games Maker. But this one doesn't do that. This is a sort of, it builds you into the story and gives you a quick introduction to the to the people. And it says, and the narration's saying about how strange the outback can be. And, you know, and this isn't a dingo out my baby sort of story. It's a, it's, they call it a little ripply story. It's a, it's a story you tell over a couple of drinks in the pub like there's some really nice camera work um that goes through sort of like this outback valley and arrives at the narrator in his tin shack all the time he's been talking so you go up to him and it sort of goes you sort of slides and glides through this valley and you see him there talking and he's talking about how the valley has changed and how the city folk used to be all about coming up there and panning for gold and, and tin mining and all that sort of stuff 
and now the city folks come up here to relax. And uh, then he tells of a flash flood that strips away the land and then introduces uh, us to the, the Black Tar Gang. The Black Tar Gang are our protagonists for the film. We meet them uh, turning up for work um, as, as they're road workers. Um, well, We Are the Champions by Queen plays. Now, that's got to be a massive, sizable chunk of the budget for that, that song. We probably, you know, I have no idea what, what, how precious Queen are about their songs, but We Are the Champions is going to be up there. Unless they're having a special. You know, about the same time they did um, a Knight's Tale. You know, two for two for under grand or something. But uh, yeah, it's it's a strange choice because I feel like that eats into the budget more. But anyway, uh, go on. We we meet uh, Lotto, who's played by Eric Banner. Uh, he's incredibly unlucky. He's called Lotto because he once won a hundred thousand dollars on a scratch card and then instantly dropped it down the drain. And uh, we then see him dig up the the road, and then he still can't do it. He gets washed away, and he gives up and goes to the pub. We then meet Wookie, who is uh, Glenn, which is Stephen Curry's character. He's called Wookie because he uh, alleges that once he saw a Wookie in his garden, as in, you know, Chewbacca. Uh, again, I'm guessing they got clearance from George Lucas for this. And uh, we find out that he's a conspiracy theorist. Have a listen. He used to read them cheap, shitty magazines. The ones that reckon Lady Di is alive and well and married to an Eskimo in Iceland. <clears throat> or that aliens abducted Ali McBeal and stabled her stomach. That's how come she's so thin. Then we meet Sue, uh, stroke Bob, who's played by Dave O'Neill. Uh, he's a slob. He, um, he once found a, a finger, a severed finger in a steak and kidney pie and hired a crap lawyer uh, to sue the company. They were going to get two million, but they settled on a hundred grand. Again, this is the second time a hundred thousand um, dollars has been mentioned in this film, just to just to highlight that. And then we find somehow that these three are all married uh, to very nice ladies. They are all in shares on a metal detector uh, to take to their weekend retreat shack, which is where the old man lives in that sort of tin mine, the old gold mining country. Uh, and they have all lied to their wives about the metal detector's price ranging. Uh, price ranging from 400 600 to 900 dollars that sort of sets up the scene that these guys are a bit down on their luck and they're trying to find their way out by they go to work every day they're very simple guys and it's you know it's about drinking beer watching sport betting you know and just trying to make you know the best of it sort of thing and then they go up and have these sort of you know, bonding moments in, in this tin shack. They go to this shack and they do their uh, character stick, shtick, you know, they prospect and, and prospect, you know, you've got Lotto playing some sort of scratch card, Sue eating and Wookie is there uh, reading the tabloids sort of thing. How much do I owe you for that thing? Ah, uh, don't worry about it, mate. I'll put it on Visa. I'll let you know when I get the bill. Oh, thanks, mate. But no more checks, though. Last three bounced. Yeah, that's a bank's fault. It was three different banks. They're all bastards, aren't they? Being harsh, mate. Bounce, Simon. What is that? A nail. Great, 900 bucks, and all we found is two ring pulls, four nails, and a tooth with a silver filling in it. Amalgam. What? It's not silver, it's amalgam. Don't you go to the dentist? No. Look forward to the day when they all drop out so I don't have to clean them anymore. Hey, found something else. What is it, Walk? That's another nail. Great investment. If we find any more nails, we're gonna open up a hardware shop. What's that on your boot? Oh, probably possum shit. Jesus, mate, that's gold. Where have you been? Uh, I went for a leak. So this might hurt, mate. I want you to think really hard. Where did you go? Uh, on returning from the outback loo, uh, Sue has gold dust on his shoe, uh, so they go to find it. Sue tells them he can't remember where he'd uh, 
he'd weed because he got distracted by a singing cockatoo. Uh, while I berate him, a shaft of life breaks through the cloud and shines on the nugget. Uh, they, they go and find this nugget, it's, it's, you know, buried, it's all mossy. But they decide to go back at night, so the neighbours, because they sort of like in this valley and there's neighbours all around, don't see them uh, doing digging it up and they don't get interrupted. Enter Ratner and Jürgen. These are the neighbours sort of thing. Uh, who've come to see what's uh, all the hullabaloo and what's going on. And then we get into a whole strange, oh, I brought my dog up and my dog's died, so I'm going to bury it. But they can't decide on what dog it is and where, when they're going to bury him. And instantly the scallywags, Ratner and Jürgen, are very suspicious, rightly so. Anyway, that night they go and dig up the nugget and uh, they put it in the back of their ute and head for home. Ratner and Jürgen go and check the next day and they find a piece of gold uh, in the hole, and, you know, obviously go, oh, right, he's dug up a nugget, there's a massive hole in the ground, of course they have. Jürgen, this this guy who plays Jürgen, uh, has got this Aussie-German accent, which I find absolutely brilliant, and it sort of wavers in between. I have no idea if he is actually one of those Germans who, you know, one of those Europeans who have then adopted their native language, and uh, you see it a lot in football and things like that. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for Manchester United, he's got a fantastically... Mancunian Icelandic accent is brilliant. Anyway, so our heroes uh, go to a truck stop on the way home and they leave the nugget in the car because of course you would and they can't afford the food as they are $2 short uh, which they find hilarious. On leaving the truck stop they find uh, the ute stolen and after much berating from Wookie they find they, they just find out they forgot where they parked it. I told you this had happened, didn't I? I told you, didn't I? No. People get kidnapped from car parks like this all the time and we go and leave a multi-million dollar gold nugget in the back of a ute. Just put some jackets on it, it'd be right, it'd be right. We should have made it easier for him and left the keys in the ignition. I think I did, didn't I? Or we, we should have put a big neon sign on the roof saying, steal me. This one's a good one. The radio sucks, but there's gold in the back. This really does put you two into platinum dickhead status. It's right over there, Wook. They get home and they bury the nugget in Lotto's garden. And uh, while Sue fills in the wives, all three of them who were there, that what's, ha- what's been happening, the greed rears its ugly head straight away. And uh, they come up with a plan to um, buy out all of the other um, tenants on that plot of land where the nugget has come from. They're going to use the money they've got to go and buy all the other land and dig, up, dig it all up and get all the, the gold from out of there. The Tin Shaman comes in with narration again, and he's got some ominous tidings. Uh, they clean off the nugget, and I mean, it's a fair old size. It's 275 kilograms, roughly. And they uh, they take some pictures of themselves with it, uh, sort of up at uh, the side of their house. Uh, after reading the Guinness Book of Records, Lotto tells his wife that theirs now is the biggest nugget ever found. Uh, the wives, next day, this is where the wives sort of start to get a bit of character building. The wives go car shopping and have a conversation about never having a new car and never smelling the smell of a new car smell. This moment keeps the cast grounded and keeps the people grounded. You know, it just shows that they are simple folk. That's it. You know, they've never had new things and and this is going to change their world. The boys go off to work on the roads and and insult their boss who fires them. You know, uh, they go to the pub. Lotto works out how to uh, lease, uh, lease the other plots and try and work out how much the nugget is worth using a bar till and a very smart barmaid. Have a listen. Okay, so multiply by 35.274, and we've got to multiply that by the price of gold, which was how much per ounce? 315. 
and we've got to convert that to Australian dollars from US dollars. So multiply that by 0.48. Oh, now that depends on when you're planning to sell because the balance of payments figures are out next week and there's a strong chance that the current account deficit could be larger than market estimates given the surge in the resources sector lately. So the Aussie dollar could well strengthen against the greenback, although copper is dropping at the London Metal Exchange and Texas crude is rising per barrel, so that'll have a bearing on it as well. So if I were you, I would factor in 0.55, but I would seriously consider a hedge. After some rudimentary maths, they decide they did, they discover that the the nugget is worth six point three million dollars. Uh, they decide to do something special, and they all go for a China, for a, a meal at a Chinese restaurant. Cheryl Lotto's wife uh, comments that it was nice to have real folding napkins for a change instead of paper. Again, it's just laying the groundwork and telling you that these guys are simple people, and you know they've never had anything in their lives. After this moment of unity, in in comes the confrontation. Wookie's wife Joyce. Uh, sorry, Darlene. Wookie's wife, Darlene, has found the deeds to the plot. And it turns out that Wookie owns the plot outright. Uh, Lotto was away or something and he couldn't sign for it. So Wookie signed for the whole thing. So the plot is all in Wookie's name. So it's 100%. The, the nugget is 100% owned by, by Wookie. They go see the other plot owners. Uh, they start with Ratna, who wants to know what they're going to do with his plot. And they say, oh, we're going we're gonna to start a vineyard. And he, you know, you have the whole back and forth. You're beer drinkers. You don't know a thing about wine. And he says you don't have to. That was the terrible attempt at an Australian accent, right there, people. And I'll stop that right now. But he says you don't have to drink wine to make it, which is true. The Tin Shack Man uh, goes on to tell the story of how Ratna was onto the guys from the start. And while they were at the restaurant uh, the night before, having a lovely Chinese meal, Ratna snuck into Lotto's garden and dug up and stole the nugget. The gang start. Spending like millionaires, you know, ordering TVs, furnitures, new cars, all those sort of things. And Wookie's wife, Darlene, starts to pressurise Wookie into swiping, you know, to, to lay, in the, lay in the groundwork that you don't, they don't own the plot, it's all Wookie's. The boys go to see Tin Shack uh, Man about selling his plot, and he tells him it'll cost them the life of the person they hold dearly. He's joking, apparently, and he laughs maniacally. I've signed my bit. Can we go back to that stuff about the, the life of the... person you love most dearly. That's me, Price. <laughs> You're joking, right? Of course. <laughs> well, we'll, uh, we'll get back to you. Price on this thing or what? Yeah, you heard what he said. He said the life of the person you love most dearly. Oh, come on, it was a joke. No, 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 you had a kind of aura about him, that guy. An aura. What 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 is an aura? It's like a vibe. It's like he's he's some kind of guardian angel or something. Oh, you know what? I must be blind because I missed the uh, the wings and the halo. Can we can we just sign this and get it over with, please? I don't know. Something's not right. Let's not jump into this. There's no price on the contract. Um, that he signs uh, ominously, so they, they don't sign either. The boys go home, and it's a media circus. There's TV vans, photographers. There's a great tracking shot um, that follows over the ute. Uh, in, it follows the ute into the drive. Lotto gets out. The camera goes over the top of the house and follows Lotto, uh, Lotto out into the back garden. It turns out that the photograph they've taken uh, has been sent off to the developers, and developers like 
wow. Okay, so he gets involved with a local journalist and they sort of hit a plan of like, well, it'll be good for for the town. It'll be good story. It'll, you know, bring some revenue to the town. So like we're only doing it for the, the, the people in the town. Back at the house, uh, Darlene drops the ownership news on Lotto and his wife that the nugget is purely owned by Wookie. And all three of the couples have a standoff over the buried nugget, or the supposed buried nugget they still think is there in the garden. Uh, the wives start arguing and fighting, um, so do Lotto and Wookie, and they inadvertently disturb the ground, and there's a dog's paw revealed. They dig it up, and there's two dead dogs in there. Now, these are the two dead dogs from the story at the start, when they're trying to throw Ratner off the scent. So he, he buried these two dogs in a sort of, you know, thumb thumb his nose at these people and say, oh, fuck you. So the Tin Shack man gives us a catch-up on what Ratner has done. Uh, he asks for two dead dogs. I mean, f- what a fucking piece of shit this Ratner is. Through his dodgy connections, and uh, he buried them in his place. He's just a real piece of shit for doing that. And uh, he's crushed the nugget because uh, he owns a scrap uh, a scrapyard, and he's hid it. Enter Dimitri now. So Dimitri is the uh, the local sort of town magnate. He owns like three fast food shops, a jeweler's, and a massage parlour. That's in air quotes, everybody. Massage parlour. Questionable reputation. Uh, including setting up Ratner with one of his girls. Uh, we have previously met Dimitri fleetingly um, when Ratner was trying to fence the nugget and he said he'd be able to help, but it was a nothing moment. I don't think it was any worth anything, but he's turned up again. He strikes up a deal with Ratner and he says he'll fence the nugget for 30% of the profit. Back to Wookie, who has an argument with Darlene, who is truly struck with gold fever and acting awfully, oh, absolutely awfully, and finishes off with a homophobic slur that... He's not needed and doesn't really add anything to this moment in the scene, other than the fact that you see that the golds are getting to her. We see that all the boys have hit hard times now, except for Sue. Well, he didn't, you know, he had hundred grand settlement for that broke, you know, that severed finger in his um, in his burger. So, uh, sorry, in his pie. So yeah, so uh, Lotto and Cheryl uh, begin to sell their things in a yard sale to try and um, uh, try and recoup some money, and we end up with this really bad taste joke. A Persian rug. How much these cost us? Two grand. With a lot more than your stupid Lady Di Memorial beer mug, isn't it? Yeah, well, she died, didn't she? Huh? Uh, Wookie and Sue turn up to the yard sale and they argue and make up, you know, because they're besties and that's what they do. They realise that Ratner stole the nugget and he'll try and fence it, so they hatch a plan to steal it from... To, they hatch a plan to send in Sue's wife, Moon Chen, uh, as an Asian businesswoman stroke jeweller to steal it back from... Well, he's gonna, she's going to go in and find out where it is and... You know, make sure that it's all right and blah, 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 all that stuff. Uh, they go to Dimitri's Jewelers, uh, I think to Hoxham Jewelry, to, to get some money back. And they run their mouths off and he figures out what they're going to do. And they're going to steal it back. Moon Chen goes to see Rat, uh, Ratna uh, to talk deals and she heavily flirts with him. Dimitri turns up and Moon Chen narrowly misses him. But not before uh, he shows Moon Chen where the gold is. That's behind the couch, you know. Safe as houses, of course it is, behind the couch. On that evening, Moon Chen wines and dies Ratner, wines and dines Ratner, and uh, the boys go off to steal a cherry picker from their old work, and they break into the scrapyard. But once they're in there, they find that Ratner's moved it. Right about the same time, he rumbles Moon Chen. He drags Moon Chen from the restaurant, and I really did think this was going to go a different way, but she punches the scumbag in the face and knocks him on his arse. Less than what he deserves, to be honest. I'd have kicked him as well, but that's just me. He races back to the scrapyard. Um, when he gets there, he finds a twist in the tail. Or we find a twist in the tail that he hasn't moved the gold. Dimitri's actually stole it. Dimitri's taken it. The boys go for a drink 
on a bench uh, while Ratner goes to the massage parlour to uh, to confront Dimitri, but ends up getting beaten up by a dildo. Yes, that happens. Uh, it turns up Dimitri didn't take it either, so where is the nugget? A strange thing happened that night. And this is where the story gets kind of peculiar. Jürgen wasn't a greedy man. Far from it. Being of German extraction, he felt keenly the sting of social injustice. Jürgen wanted to make amends with the gang, so he stole the nugget. But Jürgen, being of German extraction, was a creative man and generous by nature, like most Germans. So he thought he'd melt the gold down so the gang could sell it more easily. have been the end of it, except for one thing. That night there was a big soccer match on the telly, and Jürgen, being of German extraction, just had to watch. So while Jürgen watched his team, and the Black Tar gang went home to ponder their fate, and the scavenger and the pimp redefined their working relationship, a funny thing happened with the nugget. After being treated so poorly by Ratner and being asked to do these horrible things like sort these dogs out, you know, fuck these guys over with their, their nuggets and all that, that Jürgen just decides that deceit and treachery isn't in his nature and he's going to melt the nugget down and give it back to them. So he's took the nugget and he starts to melt it down in a bath. But as the uh, story tells you, he's, a, he's German at heart, so he goes off to watch the football. Only problem is he's forgot to plug the bath. So the gold, once it's melted, flows down the street and it pulls at Sue's house on the yard. And uh, the next day, they get up and go and have a look. And the boys come along and they dig it up and sensibly, this time, they take it to the bank. Jürgen gets punched uh, by Ratner, so he sues him and he gets prosecuted for animal cruelty. Good. I mean, it's no less than he fucking deserves to be honest. an absolute piece of shit. The, the families don't go mental with the money at all and the boys go to the cabin. There's a really good shot here where the sun shines down on another spot uh, where there's some more gold, but the boys just go for a beer instead because, you know, they've learnt lessons. And after all that shenanigans, the end. Right, so to sum up this film and to give my reaction, this is a fun, silly movie with some jokes that have not aged well in the 19 intervening years at all. You know, there's touches of Sierra, the, the treasure of Sierra Madre about this in the way it shifts and turns. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's definitely not that film in any, you know, it doesn't come close, but I can see the sort of same sort of things. The greed starts to get to them and they start to infight. You know, the main characters are really likeable and they're just everyday people. They're just everyday Joes. That's it. They're trying to make a living and I can sort of, you know, identify with that sort of thing. 
I mean, the villain of the piece is Ratner. I mean, he truly is a remarkable piece of shit. The, the stuff he does and, and just the way he looks. and He's just, you know, he's one of those villains. He sort of puts me in mind of Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life. Just evil enough not to have a conscience and, and everything he's doing is self-serving in every single fucking way. And he he's one of those guys... He doesn't get enough comeuppance, the same as Mr. Potter in It's a Wonderful Life. You want this fucker to really suffer. You want him You want him to, you know, he's, he's had dogs killed for, for no fucking reason other than a really shitty joke. And he's been stealing off people. Fuck knows what else he's been doing to other people. He's just a piece of shit. And, and he deserves more. But they downplay that because, you know, they sort of, they know what sort of film this is. The film itself is, it's nice. It's clean looking. It's got some really solid camera work and they try and be a bit fancy with it and sometimes it works and sometimes you just think you should have known your limitation there but it, you know at least they're trying and I can appreciate that at least you're not trying to make it boring and you're not trying to go for a simple angle you, you've got a boom uh, arm for a couple of days you're going to work it perfectly I don't see why not this film is not the piece of shit that some critics said it was it's just a nice independent comedy you know from the southern hemisphere and it's it's a nice little watch it's got some good buddy moments and there's some things in there that actually are quite funny they are quite silly you know it's a good ensemble cast that has uh, they're, they're all really solid and they make the the film you know time just tick away like it's nothing so on to the verdict gentlemen of the jury reach the verdict considering all the facts and arguments presented by both counsel and after careful deliberation the jury will retire and consider the evidence. Ladies and gentlemen, the jury, have you reached a verdict? Better be judged! I'm, I'm sure a better film critic or I'm sure a better, you know, podcaster who talks about films would go into looking at the socio-political aspects of this film, the haves and haves-nots, the, the rich versus the poor and the divide in between. And, and you know, working for a living is honest, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to do that. All I know is it wasn't a chore to watch and it's quite funny at times. And this is the second Australian one I've had like this that does that. So I don't know what else that can really be said about it, to be honest. So, yeah, I mean, after all that, I'd give, I paid a pound for this from CEX. I, you know, it's a 65p for me. It's, it's, it's better than average and I quite enjoyed the little film. So, yeah, that's it. That's episode 20 all rounded up and done. Um, I made it to episode 20 that's the main thing um, thanks again for, for coming along and listening thanks again for subscribing and whatnot. you can find me on Twitter you can find me on Facebook or the One Pound Movie Podcast on both of those things you know hit me up with any questions and whatnot if you like um, you can find me on Spotify you can find me on Podchaser and a couple of other places the, the podcast isn't massively promoted at the moment so but if you can find me and give it a listen and if you are well you're obviously already listening so it doesn't matter so yeah, so all that's really left to say is uh, I've been Wayne and thanks for listening to the One Pound Movie Podcast. Goodbye. <laughs>